Hey, everybody. Welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast. I'm Gordon Miller. Thanks for tuning in. And before I get started, I want to begin by saying how pleased I am with positive reactions from so many to this passion project of a podcast of mine. Um, I, I really can't say thank you enough to those who've reached out, uh, those who've left reviews, um, um, just, you know, so much good stuff. And I, I can't say thank you enough. But, you know, I've been doing podcasts for quite some time. I did a weekly one hour podcast for five years as CEO and president of Hairbrained and close to two with American Salon as publisher. It's well over 300 episodes combined. And very proud of, of all that work. So enjoyed every bit of it. And um, but you know, both those podcasts were in essence sponsored. Um, just given how the relationships work before between brands and and media companies, which is a really good thing. Um, and you know, both those companies get a hundred percent of the revenue that pays for people's salaries and more from brands. You know, and again, it's a really good thing. But starting something new, I, I wanted to do it a little bit differently. So I chose to make this an unsponsored podcast on, on purpose. And P.S., huge thanks to the companies that have expressed an interest in being a sponsor. Sometimes that's not easy to say no to, but I, I wanted to test a shorter form, number one. I wanted it to be more topical, and I, I wanted to do it without brand support on purpose um, because uh, I get to talk about what I want to talk about and don't have to think too hard about all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, it means I, I pay out of my own pocket for the production and for the hosting and all that stuff. That's kind of my give back you know, in, in many ways to to this industry. It's been so great to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I get to talk about what I want to talk about. And uh, maybe, maybe it's an age thing. I don't know um, why I'm so passionate about that. But again, I am so appreciative of all the positive um, reactions, responses. So you know, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll leave a rating and or review, hit the subscribe button, share it with colleagues. Um, and if you want to get early access to future episodes, uh, go over to socialbeautymakers.com. Again, that's socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for my free weekly e-newsletter and 24 hours before the podcast normally comes out, you'll get early access. So today, I'm sharing another in a series of talks on our industry's various parts and pieces. I've talked media, online learning, events. Um, I took a break last week um, in the series because as I said at the time, I felt I needed to have more conversations about the topic of distribution, which is what was scheduled next. Um, and I'm actually combining it the last two episodes into one, and that's a conversation about distribution, as I just said, and, and also manufacturing and brands. And um, that'll make more sense in a moment. And so, um, yeah, two favorite topics of mine, actually. Um, these are the various businesses that salons and pros engage with to get the products, tools, sundries, education, and more that they need to, to do their work every single day. And um, so, again, really powerful part of the industry. Um, and and most importantly, these two categories somehow, some way touch pretty much every professional, every business in the larger industry. And they have over time, my observation and experiences, they've changed the trajectory of the industry and and for the better by way of innovation, education. You think about it, most I would say 95% of education comes to the industry by way of brands um, and or distributors or both. And you know, that's a big deal. And um, you know, it's it's just important to say that before I get started. Another thing I want to say before I, I I dig in too much is, you know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about niches and you know how I think, you know, going forward in my life, I, I I've really come to this small as a new big conclusion in both my personal life and, and my professional life. And what I think is happening with the industry itself, that we're, we've got more categories of everything, um, whether it's products, whether it's type of distributors, whether it's salons, whether it's professionals, we've got all these different categories. And, you know, historically, we've talked about everything as one, 
you know, we've talked about salons and we, we rarely kind of get in the weeds when we're talking big picture about what's happening. Same with professionals. Um, now we talk about independence versus, you know, more traditional, but that's about as far as we go. And as I'm talking to folks, preparing for these podcasts, because I like to reflect what the audience is, is saying to me, um, what I'm observing being said online and in other places, these, this idea of niches just becomes more and more um, um, reinforced and pronounced. And um, it's kind of led me to the 80-20 rule. We've all heard about it. Um, Pareto's principle is, is what it's called officially. Um, and it's um, one of those things that, um, you know, it kind of says that 80% of outcomes in most efforts that we make come from 20% of the work we do. In our industry, we know that 80% of all retail sales across the entire industry comes, this is uh, retail sales to consumers, um, comes by way of 20% of salons. And that's just one example of the 80-20 rule. And I've been talking to people about these categories, this kept popping up. And again, that'll make more sense in, in a few minutes. But um, yeah, I think that niches, really important to understand. We are so niched out. And I'll talk for a moment about salons because that impacts how they engage with distributors and brands. You know, so on the one side of the equation, we have big mega salons, um, multi-location doing, you know, serious revenue. We also have chain salons, you know, big organizations, you know, the great clips of the world, um, the Regis Corp and you know, the various brands that they have and, and many, many others. And, and then you have on the other side in the far extreme, you have the independents, suite renters, chair renters, those who own those larger businesses. And then you kind of have the middle and you could niche that out in, in many other ways as well. But so again, a series of niches and each of those niches, again, engages with brands and distribution in different ways. The bigger businesses, the more opportunity they have to buy direct. They cut out the middleman, if you will. So they're buying products at a, at a much lower cost if they're big enough to qualify and they're selling them at the same price everybody else does. So their profit margins go way up. And that's, that's a good thing, um, but they buy in mass and that's how that works. The other extreme, you've got the independents who mostly are buying at stores and, you know, beauty supply stores, uh, pro stores, um, as well as the larger kind of mixed consumer and pro stores. You know, that's a huge category of distribution. It's the largest category of distribution in the U.S. today. So it's important that, again, we kind of keep this, this big idea of niching, you know, um, out things. And, and again, the 80-20 rule, because it just... Uh, if you've thought about it much, it applies to so much in our life. And there's been studies that just kind of repeatedly show that it's somewhat of a truism. It's not a law. It's not a mathematical absolute, um, but it just, it pops up and explains an awful lot of, of, of situations. And so uh, fascinating. For context, I want to do like a, a, a quick run through some history of the industry. I know we have a lot of younger listeners and I think that history is so powerful to understand. So you can understand how we got where we are today. It doesn't mean that we you know, have to live in the past. It doesn't mean that we have to repeat the past, especially parts of the past that maybe didn't work out so well. But understanding the past, it just, it just teaches us a lot about, again, how we got to where we are and, and then potentially you know, where we're going next. So in my early days, um, and going back quite a while, because I've been at this for over 40 years, um, the industry had a network of independent, mostly family-owned distributors that were serving salons pretty much exclusively. And um, again, these are mostly family-owned, um, typically kind of regionalized. You know, they might have part of a state, they might have an entire state, and, and um, some had um, several states. 
but you know, a series of independent distributors. And this was before we had Cosmoprof um, BSG, Beauty Systems Group, and before we had Salon Centric, um, which today have almost 80% of all distribution. But again, going back in the old days, it was more of a network. And during that time, like the hairdressing associations um, were really a big deal in the industry. The big brands hadn't kind of happened yet. The big brands back in the early days were Clairol, you know, um, that was huge. Redkin, um, I wouldn't say Redkin was huge, but they were certainly leading the way in a new kind of brand. And um, which, um, and by that, I mean that, that later, uh, 80s, 90s, you, you had Paul Mitchell, you had Aveda, you had Matrix, and, and other brands just start to happen and fundamentally change the industry when they did uh, because. It was new, um, new types of products, a um, lot of innovation, and that meant all of a sudden there was more stuff for everybody to buy. And it really kind of set the distribution world on fire in a good way. Um, and again, you know, kind of fundamentally changed the industry. But right before this happened, the hairdressing associations, that's where people went to connect with other professionals. That's where people went for education. And they were very often supported by distributors. Um, I would say most were supported by distributors, especially in local markets where they were doing events and classes and shows and things. Um, and then, you know, you had um, manufacturers more like on the national level, but it, it was a different era. And then brands happens, distributors started to evolve just because business became more sophisticated. The associations started to die as distributors and, and brands started to do education as we um, I think Redkin was one of the first big events, you know, the Redkin Symposium, you know, that was a game changer in many ways for many people. And, you know, brands and distributors were in a position to do these things better, you know, more bigger budgets, um, access to more talent. And, you know, it was, in many ways, it was kind of sad to see the evolution of the industry, but at the same time, really exciting because there was so much, again, innovation and, and um, excitement, you know, that, that kind of happened. Again, uh, brands exploded, things started to shift. Um, and, um, you know, interesting, I need to say to those associations that were, you know, kind of in their heyday, I would say in the seventies and maybe early eighties, you know, they built this industry in many ways, going back to the early 1900s, um, the state board system was built by the national cosmetology association in essence. And, um, that was in the 1920s. So hold another podcast. Um, so as we're going through this evolution in the eighties and nineties, you know, we also saw beauty supply stores begin to evolve because in that era, there were no pro stores. They just didn't exist. In fact, when I first came into the industry, when you go to a conference and people talk about like, what are the challenges? It was like, people were, uh, professionals were stealing hair color from the salon. What are we going to do? There was no place else to buy hair color, which maybe that explains some of that, um, where now we have, you know, stores. And again, we saw this kind of growth of the beauty supply stores, Sally, you know, being the one that we all know. And as they got bigger and bigger, you know, they became kind of an economic powerhouse in the industry. And we then started to enter a period of acquisition. And I'm, I'm doing kind of the short history, obviously, <laughs> this could be many hours long, It'd be a fun documentary, actually. Um, but so Sally grew into this powerhouse, they um, had the store model, and, and again, a kind of a, a mixed model of consumers and professionals. And saw some professional-only stores opening up and, and with independent distributors. And so Sally started to acquire what we called back then full-service distributors, the distributors who had sales forces that would go visit salons, counsel salons, you know, educate salons on business practices. And, and also, again, this beginning of, of professional-only stores. And so Sally started to acquire distributors, created something called Beauty Systems Group, um, and then eventually uh, Cosmoprof 
stores, um, which was an acquisition from California. And we started to see the proliferation of stores throughout the industry that pros could go to, any kind of pro. Um, so if you had a license, you know, now you had a place where you can get all the quote unquote good stuff. Uh, fast forward a little farther and L'Oreal made a big acquisition of a dis distribution company that had also done some acquisitions and they were called uh, Beauty Alliance. And that was the beginning of Salon Centric. And they started to also do acquisitions. So we had, you know, we went from all these independent distributors to this bigger model today, again, 80% of everything being bought between these two companies, Sally Holding. Um, which is a combination of full service through BSG and Cosmoprof, and then you know Sally Beauty Supply, and then um, Salon Centric, you know, with stores um, all throughout the country, and then also full service distribution. So they're they're very similar, you know, in in that regard. And so we have that happening. And then as new brands are being born, and of course that's happened throughout the history of the industry, we started to see something called diversion happen. Different conversation, but that's where products started to show up in grocery stores and things. And that was upsetting to much of the industry. We also saw Sephora happen, Ulta as well. Um, that changed things up for sure. And then um, suddenly the online thing started to be a thing. You know, it just, I, I remember when we were all afraid to put our credit cards into anything that was online. But, um, you know, again, um, things started to change up. So interesting as all of this is happening. And by the way, it's very much a mirror image of the larger world. Um, and part of that larger world at that time was consolidation. So what I just described in many ways, that purchasing of independence was consolidation. But then we saw brand consolidation. We saw big companies, you know, Henkel today has Schwarzkopf and Pravana and Joico and Alterna and, and Guy Tang and Statement. And you know, L'Oreal has a whole lot of brands in their portfolio and, and there's other companies. So you have that going on. And then again, back to the salon, you, you start to have this niching out, you know, which I, I would argue, you know, kind of continues today. Um, and then fast forward a little farther, and of course, you have Amazon. And that was a serious disruption to the industry. All of a sudden, the online thing became more real. Brands started participating in it formally and, and forward-facing, you know, just being open about what they were doing, bringing salons into that fold a little bit as well. Um, then we had COVID. And um, yeah, and, and uh, that's a really fast spin, you know, uh, uh, across the decades. And so kind of considering where things are going. Um, I talked to a lot of people. And one of the things that stopped me from doing the podcast initially was that there wasn't a lot of excitement in the conversation. So I wanted to have more conversations because I get excited about brands and distributors because I, I just know how much they've done for the industry historically and, and, and how much economic power they have and, and how that can be um, used to, to bring a lot of good stuff to the industry. So they matter. But I'm like, where's the excitement? Well, that 80-20 thing came back into, into play as I started to talk to more people and start to realize that the 20% have a lot of excitement. And the 20% are those typically who are working through distribution um, with um, distributor sales consultants who provide a really specific value to them. Um, not all of them do, but, but many of them do. Um, also to some who are buying direct from manufacturers, they have a unique relationship with brands. And that 20% who were just more involved in those models. Um, and I would say a lot of that was with the independent distributors as well, you know, who, who just kind of have a different way of doing business. That 20% had excitement about distribution and brands. The 80% 
who are mostly buying at stores. And by the way, if you look at the stock reports of Sally Holding, and if you look at information that's available on Salon Centric, the 80-20 rule seems to play again, that it's actually less than 20% of all sales in the industry right now that are going through, quote unquote, full service distribution, 80% in stores. And talking to a lot of pros about stores, which are convenient, which are economically make a lot of sense for so many people, especially independents who are buying things you know, kind of just in time. Again, it's, it's really practical you know, that we have these stores and it has empowered people to become independent. You know, it has empowered people to, as small business people, to manage their finances in unique ways that are really, really positive and, and, and really powerful. But at the same time, as somebody said to me about the store model, it's kind of like it's, it's convenient and all the things I just said. Um, and it's also nothing, I think the quote was nothing to get excited about. When I pressed a little bit more, and the answer was, think of like Walgreens and CVS. As someone who shops at stores, this person was saying, you know, they're, they're kind of the same. You know, said that their preference was Walgreens, but, you know, wasn't too much of a distance uh, difference. And it's like, if they didn't have something at Walgreens, they go to CVS and didn't get all that excited about either. And if a, a third option opened up that was a bot closer to home that had everything everybody else had, um, that's where they would go. Um, no quote unquote loyalty because it really was kind of about commodity, about buying stuff. Um, um, the brand relationship could be different amongst those same people, depending how where a person came from in the industry and kind of how they grew up with product. And so I think that's a little bit different conversation. However, I also heard cons fairly consistently from a lot of folks, you know, that yes, um, people have their preferred brands, but more and more people are saying there's so much good stuff out there, you know, that if that brand that I love so much went away tomorrow, it would not be that big a deal for me to replace it with another brand that um, you know I would then you know create a deeper relationship with you know so I think you know that is is all you know you know kind of um, very very interesting okay so uh, as far as what does all this mean and, and where is it all taking us you know again that eighty twenty thing we have slid over to something that many many years ago there was like high value on. The distribution model, and I think the relationship with brands was was quite unique and quite different. It was an exciting time. I think you know things have settled into a, a little bit different kind of tradition, you know, if you will. Um, the um, the kind of support, the kind of um, um, friendship, you know, if you will, which could be very personal, um, that was felt in those old models is is not as apparent these days for everybody. Again, going back to that eighty twenty rule, um, the educational resources that you know are available to professionals by way of these brands are different in the full service side than they are sometimes on the store model so that creates concern you know and i think it's an important thing to consider when, when salons think about how they want to engage with product companies engage with distributors because there's so much value that can kind of come from that and then also this big idea of community which i think has become kind of a cliche and i'm just i think the whole we've watched the whole world i think you know turn into more audiences and communities i think communities is a really challenging time for this ideal of community and again brands and distributors help over time create communities if you will you know under the umbrella of those brands or kind of adjacent to it and as people slide more and more into stores i i think we're starting to lose some of that and i think you know that is um a concern um but i 
I know there's really smart people in both the distribution world and the brand world who are very aware of this and think about it every day and think about how can we evolve the model further to bring more value to their customers, which are again salons and pros, um, and more innovation and you know and all these things. So, where is it all headed? Uh, that is the question that is. Um, beyond my pay grade. <laughs> so um, it's, a, um, it, it's a big question. And again, I think like, we always tend to mirror the larger world. We're in an unusual time, you know, when it comes to the bigger like finances of the world and how big companies operate. You've got a lot of companies now that have stockholders and that changes the game. So you know, there, there's, there's a lot involved and, and who knows where it's all taking us. The online world, I think has become interesting, but COVID, it blew everything up, but we've seen we've seen people swing back to the real world, I think, in a really significant way. I think that's important to say as as well. And so um, yeah, time is gonna tell. Um, but again, I'm excited that so many of the people I know who live in the spaces of distribution and brands every single day um, are paying attention. They know there's not one model that's gonna, you know, get it right for everybody. And so I think we're gonna continue to see an evolution of these models. Um, so I'm gonna stop there. I've, I've talked longer than I should. And um, so I'm gonna be begin to wrap up. Um, do me a favor, if you like the episode, you know, spread the word, uh, leave a review, a rating, um, share the podcast link. Um, and again, you can go over to socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for the, the newsletter if you wanna get um, some additional content or, or get early access to episodes. I, I can't say thank you enough for, for paying attention, for listening. And um, yeah, that's my combined conversation with myself about distributors, manufacturers slash brands. Uh, one last time, I'm Gordon Miller, and you've been listening to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast. I can't wait to share more good stuff with you again next time.